Well, hey again. I want to introduce you to my dear friend Angela Yee. Can you all say hi, Angela? Hi. See, they're so happy to see you. So uh, I've invited uh, my friend Angela to come and uh, preach today. So excited to have her. Here, you can put your things here. So so excited um, to have Angela. Uh, we got to work together when I was a pastor in Davis, California. We, we had about six years on staff together. And uh, to me, Angela is just a marvelously, unbelievably, maybe the most talented person I've ever met. Uh, I want to embarrass you for a while before you preach. Um, I've learned more from working with her than probably anyone else I've worked with because she has such a different gifting to, and background to what I uh, have and how I've been trained. She has so many crazy talents that are all crammed into the same person, and I want to tell you about a few. First, she is an incredible drummer. Isn't that amazing? Could you give us a sample? No, I'm just kidding. She also plays keyboard. I mean, she does all kinds of stuff musically. She's been a professional graphic designer. Uh, she's been a professional consultant uh, for stage design and lighting for all kinds of uh, churches and things. She's an author. Three books that I know of that she's written. I'm not neat, but I'm organized. The Christian Conference Planner. Uh, she used to run the Thrive Conference uh, over at Bayside. And then most recently, the Volunteer Bridge, which is uh, how to get people uh, involved in and how to, how to create a volunteer mobilization team uh, in your church. Uh, we're inviting her. She's here for a few days, so she's preaching today. She's leading a creative a workshop for a creative team here, looking at things about stage design. She's going to be working with staff all day tomorrow on uh, teamwork, uh, team building, and how to mobilize volunteers. Uh, just a just a joy. Such a, I, I could go on and on, but then we won't have any time for your sermon. So, uh, really talented person. Really excited uh, to have Angela and to and to share her with you. So we asked her to bring the word today. Uh, would you join me in praying for her? Lord, we just thank you so much for Angela being here. Uh, we're so grateful for her presence. Uh, we're so grateful for her heart for you. And we just ask right now that you would just help us to be attentive to your spirit as she speaks, that you would have a word for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Angela. Good morning. I love Matt, and it was so much fun working with him, and uh, there was one thing about him that I really remember, and it was Matt was the king of pranks. <laughs> but the memory that stands out to me was the time when the staff all plotted together to play a prank on Matt, and so we had an, our office doors had glass in them, and one day Matt showed up to work. And he looked through the glass of his door and discovered his entire office was filled with balloons from the floor to the ceiling to the point where he couldn't even open his door. So it was just so much fun. I have such great memories. You remember that? Oh, Seattle Seahawks colors. <laughs> so it's a joy and delight to be with you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's a time of year when we look back on what's happened this past year, and look forward in what we anticipate for this next year. So I don't know about you, but looking back on my year, it has been a crazy year. For one thing, my in-laws lived by us, and so my husband took care of them every single day. And a few months ago, we packed them up and moved them out of state to live with his sister. And then I, because of my work and family commitments, was on the road for 168 days last year, 
which is a lot of travel for me. I don't know, some of you may travel that much. And then our household, we have my husband and I and our two adult children, we all live in the same house. This past year, all four of us changed jobs. And for me, it was a big shift because I have been in ministry leadership, pastoral leadership, executive leadership, churches and nonprofit, faith-based nonprofits for decades. And I felt God calling me out of that into consulting. And so I started this consulting business that helps leaders eliminate confusion through their strategy, staff, and systems. That has been a huge step of faith. Never thought I would go that direction. But it really has been truly what we were singing about today, trusting God and surrendering to him. So what about you? As you look past this year, what was your year like? For some of you, it was a great year. You had babies or grandkids or reached some kind of achievement or you had you got just to travel, cross something off your bucket list, or you got to do something that you really wanted to do. And for others, it was a really tough year. There was some major disappointment, medical diagnosis, health issues, maybe even something really traumatic and painful. So this year, I'm today, as we enter this year, all of us are in different spaces in terms of where we are, looking forward. But there's one thing that I guarantee that all of us will face this year, and it is some kind of challenge or obstacle, some kind of barrier. Because the reality is we live in a broken world. So today we are going to look at the biblical story, and that will, this will help us think through how to overcome the barriers that we may face this year. And then as we look at this story, we are going to layer in another factor of complexity, and it is that of culture. As I look around this room, I love the diversity that I see. In Revelation 7, at the end of the Bible, we get a glimpse of people of every tribe and tongue and nation gathered together, worshiping God. It really is a beautiful picture, and I believe it reflects God's heart. We also know, on the flip side, that when there are people of many cultures together, there can also be challenges. And so today we'll look at developing intercultural agility from the point of understanding each other's challenges. And as we explore barriers in culture, I will also share my own journey. And since I'm Asian, I will specifically share from that lens. So the story today is a very famous one. It's the story of David and Goliath. And uh, many people know the story of that big face-off, but we're actually gonna talk about the prequel, which is right before the battle. And so here, we have the nation of Israel facing their enemies, the Philistines. And the Philistines have a warrior, Goliath, who every day comes out and challenges the Israelites to send out a champion to fight for victory, to be their representative. And whoever wins, that nation gets to win. So the stakes are really high. Okay, so let's take a look. 1 Samuel 17 says, David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, 
But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Well, we know that David's a fighter. We know the end of the story. We know that he ultimately wins against Goliath. But at this point, that's all yet to happen. This warrior spirit and the future king of Israel is doing what? He is sitting in a palace playing a liar for a tormented king Saul. And he's babysitting sheep. But all the time, what he wants to do actually is to fight and to win. And so here, this part of David's life represents a challenge that people of color, including myself, have faced. And regardless of your background, you face this too. And it's a challenge, frustration of being sidelined. I'm guessing all of us are familiar with this feeling. For me as an Asian, this has been a common experience. And this has to do with kind of being in this awkward place that some of us Asians find ourselves in. For one thing, the story of Asians is a big umbrella. So I'm Taiwanese American. Anyone here Taiwanese from Taiwan? Some? Okay. Um, I grew up being proud, being taught to be proud of my Taiwanese heritage. In fact, one of the stories I heard growing up was about the Japanese occupying Taiwan, because that happened in my parents' lifetime. So in college, when I started dating a Japanese-American boyfriend, I was afraid to tell my parents. Now, my parents' friends, they were Mandarin-speaking from mainland China. A lot of them were. And there's a lot of political tension between China and Taiwan, which we've heard about in recent news. But back in that day, my white majority culture friends, they never heard any of this. My husband is Cantonese Chinese. And so uh, Cantonese Chinese are from mainland China as well. And they precede the Taiwanese by about 100 years. And so when I was growing up, I never heard of the Chinese Exclusion Act because that all happened before the majority of the Taiwanese came over to the United States. And so these are just a few of the many examples. This is just Chinese culture. There's so much more as well. And on top of that, we have different generations. So the first generation is the one that's born overseas and comes over to the United States. And the second generation is born in the United States. So that's my husband and I. We're the second generation. And the third generation is our kids, who tend to be more westernized, Americanized in their thinking and their behavior. So in general, my generation, the second generation, feels stuck between two worlds because we're not totally accepted by our Chinese heritage who thinks we're American. My relatives would tell me, my Taiwanese relatives from Taiwan, would say to me, you walk like an American. I didn't even know what they were talking about. On the other hand, we're not totally accepted by American culture because we're Chinese. I grew up and people called me names. They picked on me because I was Asian. And the message was really clear. You do not belong. So we feel stuck without belonging to either. We're in this middle space of being both Asian and American. And thus, I grew up feeling like very few people understood my experience, except for other Asian Americans 
who are in the same space. So my personal story of being Asian, being a woman, and being called to leadership, in particular to ministry and pastoral leadership for most of my life, has at also times put me in this really awkward position of feeling like I didn't belong. So just like being in the second generation, you have a foot in both worlds, being an Asian woman leader is like having a foot in three worlds. And Asian women in particular face another challenge because we're marginalized and we're stereotyped as Asians and we're also women. So we get sidelined, especially in Asian culture. The men are supposed to be the leaders, so the women submit. My mom gave up her whole career to support my, by my, my dad, her husband. It was just kind of expected. So things are changing these days. I see younger couples embracing more equality, but traditionally the women would step aside for the men. So growing up, I just got used to being sidelined. I just never expected I would have any kind of opportunity, and especially as an Asian woman in a white environment. Because it's rare to have someone to come alongside you and support you in your call to leadership or to ministry. And I've talked, as I've talked to friends who have ended up in similar roles, it's often because God used, it, used somebody else to prod us. Well, in David's case, being sidelined was for a season. Because eventually, a door opened. So let's take a look at that. Next verse. Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers. Hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. An opportunity! David gets to be part of the action. He gets to see the battle. Or not. Actually, David has now become the family Grubhub delivery boy. <laughs> and he's also the FedEx messenger, tasked with delivering a message from his brothers. So keep in mind, David has already been anointed as the chosen future king of Israel by the prophet Samuel. Here is a freshly anointed king, ready to do kingly things. But his job is delivering cheese. So here's the second barrier that he faces, the lack of meaningful opportunities. David had the potential to do more, but instead he's given a menial task where he couldn't live into his giftedness of being a warrior. And like David, sometimes Asians are constrained in opportunities too. So my path, the path of ministry leadership, was not the preferable vocation in Asian families. I also have friends who have chosen some of the non-preferred vocations in fields that lie outside the Asian preferred careers of engineering, law, business, or medicine. Artists, for example, they want to make a living doing art. That is a tough road to take. Because you're supposed to follow the Asian formula, which is, Study hard, get good grades, which gets you into a good college, 
get more good grades, get a good job, which makes good money, so you can support your family and have grandkids to carry on the family legacy and support your parents in their old age because you make good money. And some careers deviate from that plan. For example, I end up in vocational ministry. So yeah, we can get good grades, we can study hard, we can get good grades, we can go to a good college, but then you get a job that's low pay and does not provide great security for family, grandkids, or parents. And it's especially hard on marriages and families. And women in ministry in particular have even more obstacles and limited opportunities. On the other hand, sometimes the limited opportunities are because of expectations. So my husband, Albert, had a great job as an engineer. And he felt this prompting in his spirit. Maybe God was calling him into ministry. He couldn't quite figure it out. So, Albert quit his high-paying, stable, and secure engineering job, and he went to seminary. So you can imagine how his family responded, deeply concerned. Well, the first class in seminary was about discerning your calling. And after taking that class, my husband realized God had called him to be an engineer. And he said, God, why couldn't you have told me this before I quit my job? So he went back to engineering. But it wasn't satisfying. He'd come home from work and I'd say, oh, how was your day? And he'd say, eh, work is work. Well, I'm glad it pays the bills. It wasn't until God opened the door for Albert to be an engineering professor that he discovered his passion helping students to learn, to grow, and to thrive. He took a roundabout path. He eventually found a job that helped him to live into deeper meaning and passion and purpose. But sometimes, the conformity to the Asian formula for success limits opportunities. Well, David faced another barrier. He fulfills his menial task. He has finally arrived. And he's finally, finally on the battlefield, what he hoped for. He starts asking some questions. And it's pretty clear that he's exploring this idea of facing Goliath himself. Just when things are getting interesting, his brother steps in. When Eliab, David's older brother, oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those sheep, few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You only came to watch the battle. Well, we don't know the backstory of why Eliab was so upset. I mean, maybe David was the bratty baby of the family. There was some history going on there. Or maybe Eliab truly was afraid that David would get hurt. In any case, his words are biting and unfair. 
Because he implies David's irresponsible with the sheep. Leave those few sheep. But earlier in the text, it specifically says, David found somebody to take care of the sheep before he left. And sure, no doubt, of course, David was here to see the battle. But that wasn't the only reason he was here. Dad had sent him. And it is not easy work carting around 10 cheeses, 10 loaves of bread, and 36 pounds of grain. So this encounter talks about a third barrier that David faces. The barrier of misunderstanding. The pain of being misunderstood. There are times when all of us are misunderstood. And sometimes we Asians find ourselves misunderstood due to the clash between Asian and Western cultures. It can be confusing, especially when there are opposite ways of communicating. So in Western culture, if someone asks, you don't want this, right? You answer, nah, no, I don't want it. But in Chinese, you say, yes, yes, I agree with you. I don't want it. I still get confused sometimes. Another aspect is communication style. So I encountered a situation at a church where a white male became extremely angry at me. It escalated all the way to the elders and required mediation by an elder. And this person said I was lying. He said I was smoking mirrors. I couldn't understand it. I wasn't lying. I was trying to be honest. I really didn't know what he was talking about. But as we talked, I realized he didn't quite understand the Asian communication style, the indirect way we often say things without saying them. So my husband used to work for a company in Japan. And when he was in meetings, if somebody said an idea that people didn't like, people wouldn't say, no, or I disagree, or that's not a good idea. Instead, there would be silence. And then somebody would say, that would be difficult. What I saw as normal, this person who was angry at me saw me as being evasive and hiding something. And I could totally see how my communication could be perceived that way. So over the years, I've learned indirect communication can cause misunderstanding. I've had to learn how to be more direct, but it still makes me feel uncomfortable. So the last barrier from David's story. Verse 38, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. So Saul has great intentions. He wants David to succeed. So he dresses David in Saul's own armor. Well, never mind that Saul's the tallest guy of Israel. David is a young boy. Saul thinks that this is going to work. He thinks it is a brilliant idea. And this is the last barrier, the pressure of conformity. All of us have experienced pressure to conform. For Asians, it's constant. To be like others, 
to conform to majority culture behavior and values. So I've worked in many churches. I've led events in many churches. And in one in particular, I had to lead an event. And afterwards, my boss sat down with me and told me he wasn't quite sure I had it in me to do the job. He said, when you lead an event, we like to see alarm bells ringing, and you're out there stirring things up and ordering people around. In other words, act like us. Fit into the culture that we have here. And I told him, this is actually very direct of me, I said, that's not me. I will get the job done, but I cannot act that way. So I'm really grateful he allowed me to, have, to give it a try. And I stay true to my Asian way of working. More behind the scenes, informal conversations, respect and honor of others. And so the next time I led an event, he said, wow, that was the most drama-free event we have ever had here. <laughs> you have totally changed my mind in how things need to be run. And it was never brought up again. So Asians face this pressure to conform. It takes extra strength and energy to stand our ground and be true to who God made us to be and how we, how we function. And it's confusing. Do I act more Asian? Do I act more Western? Especially if they clash. Well, David's story resonates with me deeply as he's faced barriers, because I have seen these barriers often. And although I've explained some ways that these barriers apply to Asian culture and being a woman leader, we can actually zoom out and look at the bigger picture. We can widen that circle to think of all of us, no matter our background or our culture. Because the experience David has does not apply to just one particular culture. It is a human experience. It applies to everyone. The frustration of being sidelined. All of us have experienced delays, doors closed, that feeling of frustration or being thwarted, the lack of meaningful opportunities. Specifically, your time is spent doing something you just are not passionate about. The pain of misunderstanding. Maybe somebody misunderstood you. It's a painful place to be in. The pressure of conformity. So many people I've talked to have said, now really is a no-win time. People are at opposite ends of the spectrum, and they want you to conform to their expectations. So there's something just really universal about what David experiences. Because even though each particular barrier may be specific or unique or different, yet, we all experience barriers. We have different stories, perspectives, and cultures, but there is a common thread that binds us together, Jesus Christ. Because God came down to earth in the form of a man, a human, Jesus, who experienced being sidelined. People thought Jesus wouldn't amount to anything because of where he came from, Nazareth. In those days, the saying was, what good can come out of Nazareth? Jesus experienced a lack of meaningful opportunities. Here he was as a boy teaching 
the cream of the crop, top religious leaders in the country. But his parents were freaking out because they just wanted him on the caravan going home. The pain of misunderstanding. His own disciples couldn't even figure out what he was saying at times. And the pressure of conformity. The religious leaders thought Jesus was a heretic and people kept trying to put him in a box. They wanted him to act a certain way. Jesus knows what you're going through because he experienced it himself. But because of his sacrifice, of his love, his death, and his resurrection, we have a double blessing. A God who knows and understands and a community here that can support each other in love and understanding, can encourage each other, can support each other in prayer, can listen to each other's stories and learn. So David's story provides strength in how he plowed ahead and stayed focused on God and being faithful in the opportunities that opened up. Because yeah, David was sidelined from battle, but he kept up his two part-time jobs with diligence while he waited. He lacked opportunity, and he ended up in menial work as a delivery boy. But he entered it with faithfulness and responsibility. He didn't drop the ball. He was misunderstood and criticized by his brother. But he didn't let that distract him. He stayed focused on his mission. He faced pressure to conform. But he stood his ground. He stood firm on being true to his strengths and rejected Saul's armor. Ultimately, David's heart, focus, and his identity were based on God. And when he faces this insurmountable barrier of a giant, he says, all those gathered here will know it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. That does not sound like the heart of a discouraged person but a triumphant one. David put his faith in God and claimed victory before it even happened. His narrative was shaped by God. So as you think of the people in your life, who's a David that comes to mind? Somebody you know who's facing barriers. How can you get to know them, understand them, pray for them, support them, encourage them? How can you advocate them, advocate for them? For those who don't have opportunities, who may not have a voice, maybe it's someone you can help pave the way like so many people in my life who encouraged me and helped move barriers out of the way so that I could grow. How can you cultivate and create an environment of belonging for others that are different than you? And as we look ahead to this coming year, what is God nudging in your spirit when you think ahead? For the barriers that you may be facing, in what ways can you be encouraged that Jesus knows you in experienced barriers himself? That he understands what you are facing? And what are the ways that he's calling you to surrender the things that you cannot control to him? Because facing barriers is not easy. 
the reality is that a lot of times these barriers are there is because there's something that we can't control. But surrendering our desires, our mindset, and our attitude is something that we can do. Trusting in God's timing, being willing like David to be faithful and responsible to whatever he's called you now. Let's pray. God, we come before you today. We're so grateful for the gift of your son. Somebody who went through the human experience and knows what it's like to face barriers. We don't know what this, what this year will look like. We have no idea what the future is. But God, you do. And so I pray that you would be preparing our hearts, reminding us to surrender whatever barriers, frustrations we may be facing right now in your hands, knowing that you are a God who sees, who knows, who loves us, and who will direct us. So thank you for being a trustworthy God of provision. Thank you for the way that you care for us. Thank you for this community and every person that you have brought here. You knew that each person would be here today in your presence. So may your spirit guide and move as we step into this new year. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you all to have a seat for just a minute. Uh, so grateful for all of you to be here uh, to worship with you. Uh, we do have uh, one more thing I just want to uh, share with you. Uh, we have known for a long time how awesome uh, DJ is, and we've tried to keep it secret. But we have sister churches all over the country, and one of our sister churches has found out how great DJ is. And DJ, would you come on up? Uh, DJ has been given a fantastic opportunity. He's been asked by one of our sister churches in Southern California if he would come and serve them as their lead pastor. Let's give him a hand. And um, next week, so where it is in the process is the search team has voted, uh, we want this guy. The presbytery there has voted, we want this guy. And so next Sunday is the Sunday where he'll go down and he'll preach. And assuming they love him as much as we do, which we sure they will, they will vote him in to be their senior pastor. And then we get to have him for another month after that. And then he'll go down uh, to, lead, to lead them. And of course, that we will be uh, profoundly, profoundly grieved to be parted with you because we just love you so dearly. You are uh, such a friend, such a, uh, such a great comrade in this uh, journey, uh, this ministry of the gospel. So, so dearly love you. Um, but we're, we're just excited for you and, and rooting for you. So can you share with us a little about this opportunity? Sure. My heart is uh, beating really fast. I, I do want to start by saying um, I, I love this church. Uh, I, I have felt incredibly encouraged uh, and supported, and I've grown in the time that I've been here, and that's because of you all, uh, and so many of you have been instrumental in that, so I do thank you. Um, but as Matt said, this, this is an opportunity that, that uh, my wife Sam and I have prayed hard about uh, and actually gone back and forth um, multiple times. 
uh, about even pursuing, um, and we truly do feel that God has just opened doors and cleared the path in a way that we never expected. Um, and so we are, we are, we're excited. Uh, it's close to family uh, that we have down there. It's very similar to a church kind of field where I grew up, um, and so there's a lot of familiarity there. And we are so saddened uh, to go uh, in addition to that. So it has been a, a pendulum and a swinging of emotions over these last few weeks uh, as we prepared for this. But, but I do thank you all. Yeah. Yeah. DJ, pretty much every time you preach, somebody here comes up to me and says, hey, enjoy him while he's here. He's not lasting long. They're going to come looking for him. And I'm like, shh, don't let him hear you say that. But we've known and we've, we've, been, we've talked, uh, knowing that DJ would be called at some point to be a senior pastor, we've just talked openly about this as we've met and uh, times where I've been able to be like, you know, as we've in our meetings, be like, all right, when you're a senior pastor, don't do the thing I just did. It doesn't work, you know? Uh, and just been praying for it. Um, DJ had me be one of his references a few weeks back for the search team and I told him, you know, he's okay if you don't mind the all night cocaine parties and... <laughs> You don't mind all the embezzlement and, you know, he's a, he's a high-functioning act. No, no, I, I did actually tell him that, but they knew I was joking. So then I had to be honest and say, I just, I just love the guy dearly. He's awesome. He's great. He's going to be wonderful for you. And um, so anyway, we're rooting for you next week. I know you're a little nervous uh, about going and, and to do that, but you're going to do great. Isn't he going to do great? Yeah. He's going to be awesome. So... Uh, so, so we want to pray for you because we want to, we're all going to be rooting for you. And when we pray, nobody cross your fingers and root that doesn't go well, okay? We're going to really root for him, okay? So let's, let's pray for DJ right now. Lord, we are just so grateful for these years we've gotten to be with DJ. Just so grateful for his friendship, so grateful for his authenticity, just for his love for you, his, his just tender compassion for people, his sense of humor, his creativity. Lord, we're just so grateful for everything uh, in him, all the ways that you've, um, that you've worked in him and grown him. We, we've been so blessed. And God, we just want to root for him. We just want to root that you would work through him. Uh, this next week, the congregation would just love him and call him and that he would just have a, a long and fruitful, fruitful ministry. And uh, we just send him with our profound gratitude and blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, buddy. We love you all. Thank you. Yeah. Invite you all now to stand uh, for benediction. So, uh, if any of you would like prayer for any reason, we have a prayer team uh, right over here. And then, DJ, I know that people are going to want to come and, and process with you. So, if you can kind of go over to that side and people come. So, not to be confused with the prayer time, okay? So, DJ, be right over here. You can come and give him a hug and all that. And again, he'll be with us for another, another month or so. So, we're so grateful for him. So, now hear this benediction. May you know that you have a God who knows you and sees you. May you, in all your frustrations of being sidelined, of uh, being misunderstood, uh, may you know that Christ knows that feeling. Christ sees you. Christ cares. Christ loves you and stands with you. And may God use you. May God use you through all the gifts that he has given you that you can bring all of your full self to the table for the kingdom and for the glory. Amen.